Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Andrea. We're excited to welcome you to the We Should Probably Talk About That podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us, and we can't wait to make it awkward. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're happy to have you here with us. Um, How are you doing, Lori? Mm. Hurry and swallow your Diet Coke. I know. You got me right when I had Diet Coke (laughs) in my mouth. Crap. She didn't do enough talking. I'm doing really good, actually. How are you? I am good. I'm I'm good. I'm tired. I hosted a birthday party last night. You did. That's right. How did it go? Friend, it was so fun. It was really fun and like really exhausting. We borrowed a friend's house, a couple that we know, like that live in this mansion. So we had like, I don't know, over a hundred people there. So it was nice that it wasn't my house that I needed to Yeah. But I was still the host, so I had to like make sure that people were and by we started at seven. I started set up at five and by nine PM I was like, Wow, there's still people here. Why aren't they tired yet? (laughs) Really? (laughs) I'm so old. I literally was like you guys, does anyone want to go home and go to bed? Needless to say, nobody wanted to leave. What time did you put on the invite it was going to end? We put from 7 to midnight, maybe 7 to 11 even. And you were whining at 9 that people were I was were whining still there? at 9, and then at 1 a.m. when people were still there, Holy I was like, crap. I'm just going to... Because I wanted to be the last one to leave, because I wanted to clean yeah, up this make house. make sure everything was put together. <clears throat> so I got home at 3 o'clock this morning. Oh, well, yeah. are you going to deliver with your one-liners and punches? Because I don't want tired, Andrea. <laughs> I'm a little tired. I want on it, Andrea. I, I've had three cups of coffee today. And I'm trying to drink more water like grown-ups do. So that's something I've done. <laughs> I'm smiling because I completely suck at that. I, I hate, like I eat I hate water too all the time. Yeah. But I'm realizing how de- dehydrated I am because I can like chug three glasses of water and, like, I don't have to pee for, like, six hours. <laughs> I'm like, my poor body is, like, finally, Sucking it all in like a sponge. Finally she cares. <laughs> finally she cares. Finally. We have H2O. Oh, so, anyway. so good. Well, that's good. So, no, it was fun? You had a good time? It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. It was a, enough, like... I had coffee with a friend this morning and I told her, I'm like, I'm usually like a 10 person max. If I get to 12 people, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's calm it down How here. How many were there? There was probably a little over a hundred people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That's way too many but, for me. So yeah, that was enough for me for this half. You're good year. for the year. <laughs> see y'all in the summer. Um, but no, it was fun. How about you? What are you? That's kind of all I did. That was kind of my focus this week. Just work and, yeah, and getting kids and getting that party done. Yeah. How about me? Well, uh, I'm happy to report that my manifesting and my vision board have been working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is yours still in the basket of hope? <laughs> <laughs> Literally hasn't moved. It's still oh sitting. But maybe this is the week. Mine, it, mine is, like I said, hanging on my door. And do you look at your vision board? I see it every day. As, but do you like intentionally stop and like look at it? And... So, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like I picked, I, there's one picture I keep seeing. Ask me if it makes, if it makes me want to eat vegetables all the time. But oh, it's co- that all these colorful vegetables. Yeah. And um, I notice it a lot. But no, there's, so there's a picture of a woman in a bikini because I want to lose 20 pounds and get into a bikini. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's some imagery about calling in love and calling in money and and running my own business, doing my own things. And uh, I'm happy to report lots of things are showing up mm-hmm. for me. So I've started seeing somebody. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have. Yes, I have. Super happy. He's a great guy. I have quit my job that I did not love and found a better job that's in a higher position. And I'm happy to report I start that next week. So that's one of my calling in monies and calling in, you know, more stability for me. And then um, I have started eating better. I've been more aware of the trash that I've been putting in my mouth. So wow. I am evidence that those vision boards and manifesting work. <laughs> so Lori's climbing the corporate ladder in yep. a happy, healthy relationship. Yep. I am drinking a little bit of water. And lots we're of just, coffee. We're just on our own track. We're just <laughs> but I no, I, actually, I've lost four pounds in like the past High five. week and a half. But here's the thing. I don't, how do you, when you say you want to lose 20 pounds, let's talk about that for yeah. a second. Okay. Like, I don't know why I weigh myself because there there are times where it's like I lost four pounds and then the next day I'll be like, oh, yes. I gained five pounds. What yeah. did I eat at don't midnight? Weigh, don't weigh yourself every day. Yeah, but I like I have a pair of jeans. Like I have a picture of me in a white t-shirt that's kind of tight and this pair of jeans. Yeah. And those jeans don't button right now. So that's kind of like your my thing. Stick. Like yeah. I felt comfortable at that point and I don't know what I weighed then but it was less than I weigh now like do you ever get triggered by numbers like that like why 20 pounds and why um because after my first divorce I had a lot of time to myself Mm -hmm. to take care of myself and so I was walking every day and working out and I lost a ton of weight and so I know my body at different numbers Mm -hmm. and I know I'll feel good at that. So at, you know the number, kind of. Yeah. It's not, okay. Yeah. It's not like, I have to be high school weight or, no. Yeah. It's just, I know how clothes fit better. I know how I felt. And, um, you know, with COVID and everything and, you know, we were all home. And yeah, I, I, I will gladly admit that we probably kept our local bakery in, in business because we would go support our little bakery <laughs> <laughs> and buy brownies and bread. What and, bakery is it? Uh, is when I lived in Kaysville. And oh, it's up north. It's, uh, I want to say we have one here, though. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to remember the name. It might come to me. Old Grist. There you go. Oh. Old Grist in Kaysville. I've never yeah. heard of it. A friend of mine, her, I think, sister-in-law owns it. And um, they have, like, pumpkin chocolate chip brownies and mint brownies and... They have soups and sandwiches, and it's just amazing. And that's so, what you did during COVID? Yeah, I had my three <clears throat> girls living with me. So, mm-hmm. you know, when all the restaurants were going out of business, I was like, let's go buy brownies. And it just <laughs> became this habit, and here I am 20 pounds let's, later. Let's do the Lord's work. Yes, I was. It was worth every single bulge yeah. in my behind. So, yes. So it's not a number for me either. It's like I, I pulled out a pair of old jeans the other day and put them on, and it felt really good to, you know, not have them super tight, but I would really like to have them be a lot looser. So yes. So yes. Good for you. If you haven't listened to our manifesting episode, I promise you it works. (laughs) I've been calling stuff in like crazy. It does work. I know it does. Yeah. I just have to teach Andrea to not manifest the negative shit. Hey, I'm, it's February and I'm out of, I I feel like I'm out of hibernation. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm feeling better and 
the days are getting longer. The sun uh, right? is setting so later. Nice and with I'm the sun going down later. Feeling the anticipation of spring, even though the groundhog saw his shadow. Yeah, but the last it's hole. fine. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about narcissism. Oh, the, the, hot trendy, the trendy buzzword, buzzword that is narcissism and. When I was in school, I kind of did a deep dive into NPD, which is Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Right. And really learned that it it's a hard thing to diagnose because it's not a mental illness, and it's a hard thing to treat because it's not a mental illness. It's and you a, mean when you were in school recently? Yeah, like yeah. in 20, Not like 21. high school. No, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and... It's hard to explain it. So let, let me just tell you what I, I have a ton of notes. Lori has more personal experiences. <laughs> Unfortunately. I'm kind of like the clinical note taker of NPD. Yeah. And Lori's been affected by it more. Most so, of my life. Yeah. So we'll see kind of how this goes because I'll, I'll kind of try to fill in with, with what the research I've done. And honestly... I've had a couple, like I've kind of done another deep dive just this week as we've been preparing for this and like looking sure. at notes from school, flipping through books again. And I find myself being a little bit like it's been overwhelming for me because it's, it's made me evaluate relationships in my life because really? I think, I think NPD is for sure a spectrum thing. It's a thing that we default to right now in Oh, dating. everybody said my ex is a narcissist. Yeah, a everybody narciss- says or, that. Or or you'll tell a bad experience of a, a one date, and your girlfriend will cheer you on by saying, "Oh, what a narcissist!" Right? And it's like no, right? Not I know. a narcissist. Don't throw it around because Just it didn't waters like it you. down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think when people have had a true narcissistic abusive relationship they're kind of silenced because it's like, oh, it, the, everyone's a narcissist now. So it, my thing has lost its significance and what it did to me. So I can't, I, so it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about, but uh, Brene Brown talks a little bit about narcissism and talks about how it's a shame based personality disorder. And I think that a lot of people think narcissists are just these raging egotistical powerhouse personalities, but what it really, it, it's, it's not about self-love with narcissism. It's about grandiosity and it's driven by self-hatred and high performance. So narcissists have to be overperforming. Like they're so insecure with themselves yep. that they have to overperform to prove their worth. And I, I have had one relationship where I was kind of entangled with a narcissistic uh, once upon a time. And he used to say all the time, I love myself. I love who I am. Like if I would challenge him on anything or if, you know, he would talk about a past relationship and how she thought this and this about him or whatever he would say, but I love who I am. And honestly, I don't know if I've ever met someone who hated themselves more than he did. You could just feel when he'd have these little moments of vulnerability with me, I could just feel how much he hated himself, but he was just constantly like, no, I don't need anyone to like me. Cause I love myself. I love who I am. Right. And, um, they live in their own personal hell. That is this overwhelming fear of being ordinary. 
That, yeah, that makes total they sense. They don't. And, and that doesn't mean, I want to clarify this, that doesn't mean they're the big CEO corporate ladder climber all the time. No. Because there's two types of um, narcissists. There's the overt, which is the, the overachiever, winning the medals, all of the things. And then there's the covert one. Mm-hmm. So this could also be a man or a woman who is low performing feels sorry for themselves all the time and is the woe is me personality. I just wanted to specify that. Well, and then there, I mean, there's more than just overt and covert. I think there's like five or six grandiose is one of them actually. Yeah. But I mean, we, you can, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with when they've dated a narcissist is like figuring out if they really were a narcissist or, you know, like trying to justify not justify that they were treated badly, but justify their own feelings of being a crazy person by like, how bad were they really? And the, the thing that I've, you know, I had, I, I had a couple clients when I was in clinics in school who were married to narcissists or one was dating a narcissist. And the, the bottom line is if you've been in a relationship long enough to question whether or not you're with a narcissist because of how you feel, it's time to go. Yeah. It's not crucial to the healing process to know if they were a narcissist or not. You know how you felt in that relationship. And that's enough for you to say, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be treated that way. Right. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about like your, you know, you said all my life. And so do you have some. Yeah. um, So my journey of healing. began after my first divorce and I actually started a blog this was in 2011 about narcissistic abuse Um, my first husband was pretty narcissistic not diagnosed but you know we had we had our issues and then through my learning and education and therapy etc my mother very much has narcissistic personality disorder um and there's lots of ways to see it. So I, so I want to share a couple of resources. First of all, um, my therapist had recommended um, how to stop walking on eggshells. And that's kind of like a, a very good Bible to understanding exactly what you're getting into. It was the first book I picked up. Because you don't, I think that's the hardest part about being with a narcissist is you don't realize you're getting sucked in. Mm-hmm. Because it is such a slow evolutionary thing or it's a very quick moving thing Mm -hmm. and you think it's all in love and etc i mean another like hot button hot topic is love bombing Mm -hmm. right all the time i'm i'm seeing on the boards out there oh he's a love bomber he's a love bomber and god bless you guys for wanting to do nice things for women because there are very normal men out there (laughs) that are trying to do nice things (laughs) and women are throwing out he's a love bomber right but um before I go on, I just want to help. I, I want to share this. Um, a second book that I have uh, that I have relied on a lot is called The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists. Um, and The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists. Yes. That's what it's called? Yes. Okay. Because if you think about it, um, the way that she describes, uh, and her the author is Eleanor Payson, the way she describes it is the wizard is a narcissist. And Dorothy thinks the wizard is the only person that can make her feel good and set her free. So 
the whole time she's chasing and trying to please the wizard, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in this book, she shares she shares this. I want to I want to read this verbatim. So um, she says. One helpful approach to identify whether or not the person you're involved with has a narcissistic personality disorder is to reflect on your own feelings. So as I start, I offer you a list of questions that will assist you in detecting this problem in a particular relationship. Number one, do you frequently feel as if you exist to listen or admire his or her special talents and sensitivities? Number two, do you frequently feel hurt or annoyed that you do not get your turn and if you do, the interest and quality of attention is significantly less than the kind of attention you give. Number three, do you sense an intense degree of pride in this person or feel reluctant to offer your opinions when you know they will differ from his or hers? Hmm. Number four, do you often feel that the quality of your whole interaction will depend upon the kind of mood he or she is in? Hmm. That one's huge for me. Number five, do you feel controlled by this person? Number six, are you afraid of upsetting him or her for fear of being cut off or retaliated against? Number seven, do you have difficult do you have difficulty saying no? Number eight, are you exhausted from the kind of energy drain or worry that this relationship causes you? Mm. And the reason why I share all of those is everybody who's thinking, am I with a narcissist? These questions are very validating to me because it really shows the eggshells that you are walking on. Okay. Yeah. So as a child, I, we've shared it here. I was uh, a pleaser. My mother was always a victim. She's more of a covert narcissist. She's always a victim of things. She controlled everything I did. Why would you want to go do that? You should go and do this. You shouldn't go and do this. Mm -hmm. Why is your hair like that? And it was this constant picking to where I looked to her for my identity all the time, Mm -hmm. even to the point of I loved art and I loved, you know, creating things. And she would just shoot it down. And and I think I've shared this, but she'd be like, you just need to be a secretary and earn money and Mm -hmm. don't depend on a man and all the things. Right. Yeah. And so becoming that kind of person who is codependent, I find my identity through pleasing my mother it only makes sense that I would marry someone who's Mm -hmm. a narcissist or has narcissistic tendencies. And, um, my first husband completely loved bomb me, which is a very common thing for narcissists. And to define what that is, is they are overly affectionate with gifts, Mm -hmm. with compliments, with all the love language things. Right. And they don't really follow boundaries. So, there would be times I would say, hey, I just want to have the weekend by myself. He would show up at my house. Yeah. Or I tried to break up with him and he'd start crying and say he couldn't live without me. And, you know, it's just very controlling. <clears throat> yeah. And so as I moved through that relationship, I found myself dimming my light, hiding who I was, trying not to bring attention on myself because he was the one that needed my attention and all of, you know, all eyes on him. He would critique me about, I swallowed too much when I drank. He would critique me that I talked too much when we went out with people. He would critique me that we never had sex enough, but he never paid attention to me outside the bedroom. And my my whole identity was being criticized. Mm-hmm. Why did you put nail polish on today? Who are you going to see? Mm-hmm. Where were you? I tried to call you today. Why? Are, it just was this constant control. Mm-hmm. And so, and even to the point where I think he's very... Um, 
I, I think he's got OCD tendencies as well, to the point where I knew that the kids and I had to clean up every day at four o'clock to have a clean house because when he came home, the shit would either hit the fan or he would be calm and we would eat dinner. And that's how I lived my life mm. wow. for a very long time. And, um, you know, there's more stories I can share as we go, but you lose who you are completely. And when they ignore you or when they retaliate against you, you feel scared that you're going to be left with nobody. Yeah. You feel scared they're going to take your children away if you divorce them. You feel scared that uh, they'll go find somebody else that's better. Mm -hmm. And so anything they want you to do, you end mm -hmm. up doing. Yeah. And your whole identity is wrapped up in that person. So that's why I read those questions first, because just in those very small examples, you can see a lot of what I went through. Yeah. And <clears throat> you are not a person like we've talked about the chameleon behavior in our episode about chameleon behavior. I completely abandoned myself to please someone else. Yeah. Well, and I think when you say like, I think a lot of that stuff, like nail polish and like the stuff with your mom, even like you're into art, but then she says you should do this. It kind of makes you question who you are. And oh, when you say you're not a person in your marriage. That's like, that's a form of gaslighting. Like, no, I don't think you really, like art that much you should do this it kind of makes you wonder like who am I and what should I do and I think marrying someone who's similar to a narcissistic yep. parent is common because it's a gravitation to familiarity exactly and that's what you think love is uh-huh right? and then love bombing like did we define love bombing we didn't really not really I feel like we've talked about it on another episode but like narcissists are incapable of love yes and say it again incapable they really are for all of you who think that you can change this person mm -hmm. no they are they aren't right. capable of loving right. but they are so good at love bombing that it feels it feels like love to the victim but what but what narcissists do feel is euphoria and infatuation and so those early stages of the relationship where it's exciting and there is love bombing often happening, a narcissist does believe that that's love. The love that you feel from the love bombing and the love bombing they're doing, or just the excitement of a new, a new supply really feels like love to them. But if you're in a long-term relationship with a narcissist, like in any relationship, it kind of the newness of it wears off and it stabilizes like that adrenaline, the yep. excitement kind of wears off. And as a relationship becomes less about infatuation and it feels less intense and more secure, that euphoric feeling wears off for a narcissist and the narcissist sees that as a loss exactly in the relationship. And that loss makes them feel like the narcissist feel like they've been duped or betrayed by their partner. And at that point, when they feel that they've been betrayed, that's when devaluation begins. Yes. And in every narcissistic relationship, you will go into devaluation. And what devaluation is, is things like, you know, it, everything's your fault. Yeah. If I, I swallowed too loud. If I knew you were <laughs> like this, I would have never dated you. Yeah. If I, you know, our kids suffer because of fill in the blank. You're worse. You're a worse partner than fill in the blank and yep. they'll say someone's name who you, they know you'll be triggered by someone from their past. Like you're worse than this person. Um, 
you ruined my life. You're the crazy one. They'll gaslight you into believing that you're the crazy one that needs to fix everything. And when you enter devaluation with a narcissist, you don't come out of it. Narcissists idolize each partner one time. Yep. And when they're done idolizing you, you go into devaluation and you live there for the remainder of the relationship. You don't come out of devaluation. Yep. And even if you break up with the person and get back together, they like narcissists are also really incapable of change. They don't like big changes. So they can stay in a relationship for years and years and years. 17 years. They they want relationships to last, but they don't care if the relationship works. Yes, because they usually go and look for another supply. And when we say supply, that is another individual that will help them feel the euphoric feeling mm-hmm. and get more energy. Yeah, it's a dopamine hit. It totally is. Yeah. And so that's why when we say they love bomb, They're love bombing you for selfish reasons because they're doting on you to get your reaction of love towards them. And Mm -hmm. that's their high. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And you think, oh my gosh, he's being so sweet. He came to my work again and he this and Mm -hmm. he's playing the perfect boyfriend. And yeah, it's just, it's truly all manipulation. And, you know, can I say there were good times in my marriages? Yes, both marriages. Um... But when you start to realize what's going on and you live your life completely afraid of misstepping, you lose everything. I mean, I would be accused of flirting with a waiter when I would be too nice and tell him, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. You Have you tried this? I would be accused of flirting or, you know, I'd have three small children and he'd be like, who are you out with today? And I, my joke is I would say, I'm lactating and breastfeeding. I have a one and a half year old and I have a three year old and I drive a minivan. Mm-hmm. Who in the hell would want to hook up with me? Like, <laughs> really? Like that was my, that was my defense mechanism. And it got to the point, my ex did not say, well, you never, that." well, I, let me correct that. So-and-so was better than you, or I should have never married you. I didn't hear those, but it was like, well, are we going to have sex tonight or what? Cause you never want to have sex mm-hmm. or Uh, do you think maybe you could clean up better or he would run his finger along the blinds? Are you sure you dusted these? Mm. And it was a constant, constant negative. So I want to highlight the pattern that I'm telling you. Nothing I ever did was right. Nothing I ever did was good enough. Mm -hmm. And so my self-esteem just was on a one-way track down. Yeah. And you get to where it's never good enough. So what do you do? They're pulling the puppet strings and you're overperforming like a circus animal to try to get the applause and the attention because you just feel worthless all the time. And that can kind of bring us on to another subject we can either talk about now or later. And it's leaving a narcissist. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe I had four kids in six years and uh, always tried to work part time you know, supported our family for a while, put him back through school, all for the good of the family. The codependent in me was just muscling through. I think I've talked on different episodes. I used to lay in bed sometimes and dream of divorcing him. And luckily, the economy was such that I had to go back to work full time. I think my kids were like three, five, seven, and nine at the time. And starting to build my confidence in the workplace and 
be told I was smart and be told I was, you know, like my ex never like, you're so stupid. You're so ugly. None of those, which I feel awful for men and women that get belittled by their exes that get torn down and get told they're worthless and awful. I never got that, but I got indifference and it was never good enough. And you'd get the silent treatment and, you know, he would go upstairs and watch TV and it was just this huge disconnect where you start to feel empty. So building that confidence in a full-time position, understanding, wait a minute, I can leave now. I can be done. The money is there. And then he started cheating. It just made it all good enough that I realized I can do this on my own. Yeah. And I was able to, to leave, but leaving a narcissist is extremely difficult too. Yeah. And I think you, I think you just really do get to the point where you have had enough. Yes. And there's nothing, I mean, but even like, I remember a conversation that I had when I was in school with someone who was dating a narcissist and, and she said, how do I, how do I get away from him? Like, how do you cut it off? And at the, the time I didn't know a lot about sure. it. And, but, um, but I think the biggest thing is reducing, like they want you to idolize them and they get, they get you to a place where you do. And like the you, Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And you have to reduce their significance in your life. And what that means is letting go of how important the relationship was to you, how important they were to you. Um, drop the idea that they will ever be the person that, it, that you thought they were in the beginning because the beginning is all fate. That's so huge. Like, I can't stress that enough. You have to let go of the image. And because you do this, well, in the beginning, he was so mm-hmm. sweet. And I know it's in there somewhere. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not because was it act. wasn't real. Nope. It wasn't yep. real. Yep. And then you and then you have to do the hard work. You have to go to therapy yep. and you have to cry and feel sad and let yourself feel sad. And I mean, you, you know, write a poem about it. <laughs> whatever, but whatever feel, way you can feel yes. the despair of it. Yes. But you have to cut contact. If you're still communicating with a narcissistic ex, you're not going to recover from it if you still communicate. You'll never be able to reduce their significance if you maintain communication. Which is so hard when you have kids together. It is. Yeah, I could do that. But, but I had you, to get to where I was like, you can't text me anymore and blow up my phone at work Yeah. to fuck with my head. There's mm-hmm. the F-bomb. Like, <laughs> it was a complete, total shit show. Mm-hmm. And I would fall for it. And I would argue back. And I would say, I am not a bad mom. I am not. And that's another thing. They like when once you leave them, they hate you so much. They like to push every button mm-hmm. that they know. And even even uh, unhealthy contact, if you know, if you've left and they're mad, even a fight still feeds their. Oh yeah, they need. love it because they it's because it. it's still communication. Yes. It's still you and, and they know responding. And he so they're or like, she knows. Yeah, she's I got thinking her, about or me. I got him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So for those men out there who have ex-wives that are like, no, you need to do this. You need to do this. And you're jumping through all those hoops. Mm -hmm. She's got narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you give into that compulsion to go back to what's familiar, even if it's familiar hell, you're continuing to feed their need for supply. And it's an external validation that they love and that you are 
disrespecting yourself essentially by giving into that compulsion of just like, I got to maintain something. I got to, they love it. Yeah. They love it. Cause you're, cause narcissists are, they, they need supply all the time and they're fine with recycled supply. They'll take you back or they'll come back to you as many times as you want them to. And when you go back to a narcissist or even maintain communication with an ex that's a narcissist, you're telling them. You still have a piece of me. And it's okay that you treated me that way. Yeah, totally. Totally. And ah, it's tough. It's tough because I see, you know, I have people in my life that have been in narcissistic relationships. I know people who are still in narcissistic relationships and, and it, it seems like it should be just common sense. Yeah. But it changes your brain. Like when, when you're with a narcissist, you never know how they're going to treat you. So you stay in this state of hyper awareness, hyper vigilance, where you're just like so scared. You're in fight or flight. Yeah. Or flee or fawn or yeah. all the things. Yeah. All and the time. our, our brains and our nervous systems are not built to stay in that survival yes. mode and that hyper vigilance term, And it changes, it changes your brain. And that's exactly where I lived for so many years. I tried to keep our house calm, very clean. We always did yard work his way. We did the housework his way. We prepared dinners the way he loved. I mean, it, it was a constant, constant performance. And my children even learned to perform around him. They knew, don't do this if you don't want to make your dad mad. Don't do that. You know, like, don't touch his car. He doesn't like fingerprints. Don't. Mm-hmm spit on the window or on the mirror when you're brushing your teeth. Like, you know, you are well-trained animals Mm -hmm. and you're performing all the time and you're in constant fight or flight wondering when the next, you know, bubble is going to burst and when he's going to be angry and when you piss him off. And, and then there's other times where you're getting along and you think, Oh, this is pretty good. But that's something I want to point out too is oftentimes narcissists find supply from other people, even when you're married, whether that is someone at work, they're just flirting with or a full blown affair, or, you know, they're getting their high off of porn on the internet, or, you know, they, they completely need to be fed. And, and this is something I learned in the book, stop walking on eggshells that I'll share. It took me so long to understand. I don't understand how he could just cheat on me and go with my daughter's friend's mom so close to home and doesn't he care about our kids and wasn't he thinking and and in the book it says imagine a little boy and this happens with women too I don't want to generalize but my story is with my ex Mm -hmm. imagine a little boy in the middle of Times Square holding his mother's hand he loves his mother so you know he enjoys his mother she's amazing a narcissist if he loses her hand will just find another hand to take care of him. Hmm. It, he doesn't care if it's his mom or not. Hmm. So it's hard to picture as a child because you think, yeah. you know, oh, they want their mom. But an adult man with his wife, if his wife leaves, he gets angry, but then he just finds another supply. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And when I read that, after, as I was going through my divorce, I realized I am just an extension of him. And he can cut that off and find a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's crazy how how easy it is for narcissists to disconnect. But it is because nothing nothing really is that important to them. No. People aren't And and when it's a parental them. figure, so mm-hmm. to share more from a parental side, my mother was famous as we were growing up to talk about us children behind each other's backs. Yeah. Because she was the queen bee and could guide it. Mm-hmm. My mother purposely talked poorly about my father so that our love was more channeled towards her than him. Mm. My mother would constantly belittle our decisions and she would guide us what to do. Yeah. She, again, a puppet master. Mm-hmm. And that way us kids never grew bonds together as hard as we were bonded to her. I thought for the, so many years my mother was my best friend, that she had my back, that she's my one and only true friend. Mm-hmm. And then I got married and he didn't like that relationship because I'm dealing with two different puppeteers. And that's when I started to realize how toxic my relationship with her was while I was realizing how toxic my relationship with him was. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of grief that comes when you, when you realize that you were either raised by a narcissist or married to a narcissist or dated a narcissist where, where you look back and say like, none of it was real. And there, and narcissists, narcissists have cognitive empathy um and they are fully aware of how their words and actions make their partner feel or their child feel but they they don't care they actually don't care because they lack emotional empathy yes so they know exactly what they're doing they know they know that they have the tools to destroy you and they use those tools to destroy you and they know they're doing it but they can't empathize because they're incapable they don't care yes and that is it's devastating painful i found out from my sister i love her she lives in florida now um a few years back i never could understand why we were never super close and as i've shared in other episodes i was an over performer so i was an all-star athlete and I was on the drill team, which was a big deal here and a straight A student. And I skipped a grade, all the things I've shared before. And a few years ago, my sister said to me, do you know how tired I got of hearing, Oh, you'll never be athletic like Lori. It just comes natural to her. Or you might struggle in school. It won't be as easy because Lori, it just Mm -hmm. comes, you know, who does that to their own child? Yeah. My poor sister, no wonder we are never close because it was this constant battle between the two of us. And that was my mother's way of solidifying her relationship with my sister to show, look, I'm here for you. You'll never be like your older sister, but I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, and it's devastating. I would never do that to my kids I know. ever. Yeah. And I look back now and that's really where I am. You said you look back on your life and you go, it was all an act. Right now, I have been doing EMDR for over a year because I seriously have been filled with rage Mm -hmm. that my mother has manipulated me so hard that it allowed me to be abused sexually by someone, manipulated by my ex-husband, choose the wrong people, and have a poor father figure for my kids because he's a narcissist. And I have complete anger now because it was all bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And how do you get through that? That's, I mean, you have to understand what it is. And now I, I know what a healthy relationship is. I know what healthy parenting is. Mm-hmm. And I'm changing the narrative. My kids are not going yeah. Well, and you're breaking, you're breaking the cycle too. As much as I can, right? Because again, their other parent is a narcissist, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm doing the counterintuitive thing and I'm trying not to throw him under the bus, but I'm trying to coach them and th- give them free therapy as understanding. You can have feelings. It's okay. If you're upset with your father, tell him he hurt your feelings. No, you won't listen. And it's a very dangerous cycle. And, you know, I just want people to know you're not alone. And the strongest, most educated, wonderful men and women out there fall for this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to shift gears just a little bit because you have talked about your mom so much. And, and you don't hear about female narcissists very often. No, you it's don't. It's typically a, a male-dominated yeah, yeah. personality disorder. Yeah. Um, but I was I, when I was in school, I had a male client, and he lived on the East Coast. And I was a student, so I, you know, I would hear someone's story in like our first clinic appointment, and then I would research it and research it and be intimidated and want to know, oh, of course, everything I could to yeah. help. And so. Um, we, we did a couple sessions on the phone and then he was visiting Utah and we did two sessions at the school, um, when I was a student and, um, the first two sessions, I didn't get a lot of information about, he was never married to this woman, but they were, they lived together for six or seven years. And, and it wasn't until that in-person, the first in-person session that we had that he just really opened up about how much life she sucked out of him. And he just poured his heart out about everything she took for him and that nothing was enough and nothing he did for her was ever enough. And I researched female narcissistic tendencies to see if it was similar to men because it was brand new territory for me. And I just have a couple notes of, because I think men... I think men have a hard time saying, like, I yeah. got duped by, yeah. a, by a narcissist. Or, or she verbally abused me. Yeah. Yeah. Because they want to be the, the stronger one. Yeah, they they want to see the through it. And, yep. But it's kind of interesting. So let me just share a couple of these things. Uh, generally, for women, they tend to be more covert narcissists rather than grandiose. Yes. Um, there's a sense of entitlement with women that nothing is ever good enough. There's never enough money, no matter how hard the man works to provide. She always wants more, you know, no matter how good their car situation is, she needs a better car. She needs a bigger house. This is so my mother. If the man spends a whole weekend in the spring landscaping and planting and getting the yard ready, she's just kind of meh, you know, it's, there's like this indifferent, like, yeah. Oh, I didn't really want it that way. Like that is so my mother. Zero appreciation. Men men constantly feel like they have to prove their worth. Um, nothing that he does is ever what she wanted. They and they lack emotional connection. They lack empathy. Um, they don't care if they hurt you. And that goes back to the cognitive empathy. Like they 
they know they're hurting you. They know their words hurt you. They know their actions hurt you and they don't care. Yeah. They don't care that they're hurting that person that loves them so much and that they say they love. They believe they're superior in the relationship. Females do. They often exploit others or they exploit their own sexuality to pull you back into their control in the relationship. Wow. Um, so they'll tear, they'll tear you down, say the most awful, hurtful things that they possibly can and devalue you as a man, um, make you feel emasculated. And then immediately they'll try to initiate an intimate experience with, with you as if nothing that they said matters because they feel like they can control you with their sexuality. Um, and then when a man, and this is, you know, maybe this is just general information. It's not always like this, but this was fascinating to read and then have another session with this client that I had. But when a, when a man is finally ready to leave a narcissistic partner, she blames the whole loss of the family on him. It's not, it's not, how could you leave me? It's, you ruined our family. You're abandoning our children. Yes. They, she brings the whole family dynamic in it, like, you know, as if he's not capable of maintaining a relationship with his children. It's, you're abandoning your children. How could you do this to us, me and the kids? Um, and then women do the same devaluation as men do where it's like they get to the point where the relationship is stable enough, but to them it feels stagnant and like they were duped. And so they, they devalue the men and men also don't come out of devaluation from a woman. Cause she's, she would stay in the relationship forever because they're the same as far as not handling change very well, but making the relationship healthy doesn't matter to them. You just stay in it and you're just there and it's good enough. As long as everything's your fault, the man's fault. That is truly my father and my mother's relationship. It's always his fault. Always, Mm -hmm. always still. They've been married 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's terrifying because does does your mom seem happy with, Oh Lord. No. Yeah. My mother is a very negative person. Um, but she blames everything on everybody else. She -hmm. doesn't have a nice enough house because my dad tried to start his own business. The only new couches I got are your sister's Mm hand-me-downs. Um, you know, my joke is my sister and I both got new houses at the same time years back and we each had stainless steel appliances. Next thing you know, my mother's telling my father, she needs stainless steel appliances. Mm -hmm. She got, he got them for her, you know, and and she's in her seventies, late seventies. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, oh my gosh, like I shouldn't be saying these awful things about my mother, but I want to share them because there are men right now going through this, whether it be with a wife, with an ex-wife, even with children. And, and that's something I want to bring up too. It's very common for the same sex child to take on narcissistic tendencies from the same sex parent. Mm Mm-hmm. And it can go, you know, opposite sexes as well. But I start to see bits of that in my kids and it terrifies me. And I try to call it out and I try, you know, to do a check on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all driven by insecurity and and the need to control everything. And so these women 
really do hurt people, hurt the people closest to them. Mm -hmm. I've watched it happen to my father. I've watched it happen to me and all of my siblings. And now we joke about it and send funny memes back and forth about, (laughs) about controlling parents. But you know, it's not, it's not pretty. And there is a a new diagnosis. It's narcissistic PTSD. Mm -hmm. It's a, I mean, it's a true diagnosis and you know, it's, it's something that people don't talk about or aren't or aren't educated enough about. And, you know, some people think it's, you know, fodder that's ridiculous. And some people think everybody's like this because I saw someone like this and it's very hard to determine the real and not real. And that's why you have to pay attention to the red flags and your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and so a couple things, when you were talking about um, the, a child picking up narcissistic tendencies. Like I think everyone has some narcissistic. We all do because we all care what other people think. Yeah. It's a human thing. (laughs) And another thing that I've heard about narcissistic parents and I, you know, I I haven't talked about this and cause I don't think your parents listen to the podcast, but my parents do, I think. And um, I, my dad has some narcissistic traits for sure. Um, and, me and one of my brothers have talked a lot about that and kind of wondered like, like we've become pretty aware of, of things that we picked up from our childhood. And he and I kind of took a deep dive into this and our, his wife, she's heard us talk about it. And she's like, you guys listen to yourselves. Like, why aren't you more shocked? And we're like, well, cause we've always been this way. Yes. Now we're just a little more aware of, yes. of things that we, that were passed on to us because of our upbringing. But one of the things that we, that we read about was that three things can happen to kids when they're raised by a narcissistic parent. Either they are narcissistic themselves, they are codependent Codependent. or they struggle with an addiction. Wow. (laughs) And I, I really do have some narcissistic tendencies and I've struggled with an addiction and I used to be a raging codependent. And it's just, it's fascinating to get to know yourself and to say like, it's, it's okay. And I understand this about me and this is something I want to change. And, and it, that leads me into the next thing, which is do narcissists know they're narcissist? Cause I, I'm no. not a narcissist. A true narcissist would never question. Am I a narcissist? See, I think that's what they say. Anyway. I think they do know. I think there's this this because they don't feel and they don't love and they aren't capable of like true connection they can almost disconnect from themselves and stay in this numb state of like no but but i think i don't know i i would probably say not many would admit no one would go around saying the experts say if you ask yourself am i a narcissist you're You're not not a narcissist narcissist. yeah that's the you know that's the but i think people who are self-aware enough to say, wow, I literally looked up the definition of it and I can see that in myself. Yes. If they're caught in that, if they have a partner who's picking up on that and starting to defend themselves against yeah. it, the narcissist will call the partner a narcissist. They'll try oh, to shift that. I've been called a narcissist. That. Yes. And, and, and that's gaslighting. Yeah. That's literally saying, yeah. I don't want you to see who I am. Yeah. So I'm going to get you to believe that you are the problem. Yeah. This is your Both fault. You're the crazy one. You're the narcissist. Yeah. And yeah. it's this, it's a, 
It's a slippery slope for sure. Mm-hmm. Because like I've watched my older son who has some tendencies. He's aware of some of them though. Like he has admitted he's very smart. He's very good verbally. And he has said, I can tear people down and I can slice them apart just with my mouth. Mm. And he knows it. Yeah. And so him being aware of that, he, you know, used to kind of bully his younger brother when he was younger and all the things. And he's evolved now. He's worked, you know, he's worked at a place um, with troubled youth and he learned a lot through that. And, you know, he has learned to look at himself more. And so part of me is like, you know, he sees it. So he's not a full blown narcissist. But yeah, I think we all have those tendencies. You know, we dress up to go to a party and we want people to look at us or we, whatever the, the barometer is, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I want to do well at work and I want everyone to pat my back. And there's, there's those tendencies of wanting the, the spotlight to be on you or the control to be there. But a true narcissist just really doesn't give a shit about anybody. Mm -hmm. They just don't. And it's devastating to watch, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that they're willing to sacrifice one child for another or one wife for another or one husband for another it and you know the men out there that come out into the dating pool with these types of wives ex-wives they still feel like they owe it to the family or their exes to do everything for their ex because they want to be a good man and a good husband Mm -hmm. but that's because she has devalued him and defeated him for so long that if he doesn't perform still for her, then all of them will see him as invalid or Mm -hmm. an awful parent or, you know, and, and the same is true of the men. Like, yeah, I've been told all the time, you're a bad mom. You leave the kids. You, it's like, no, I don't. I go when the kids are with you and I go, but, and, and that's enough. That's a rule I want everyone to listen to. If you think You've been married to a narcissist and they're engaging with you and your exes don't engage. Yeah. Like it is a business transaction. It is business. They can accuse you. They can fire it off. They can say, I'm going to get custody. All of the things I argued my worth with him for a good year and a half Mm -hmm. until I met my second husband. And he's like, why do you keep talking to him? Yeah. Well, cause I'm not a bad mom and I'm not a, and he looked at me, my, my second husband was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, but, and I also think it's important to point out to anyone who's, who's going back to a toxic yes. partner, who's having a hard time cut that off, cutting that off. Like we don't, we don't go back to toxic people because we're weak. It's not a sign of weakness. It's, it's because we want to stop reliving this traumatic experience and we want to because that's what you do when you when you go zero contact with a toxic person you relive it you replay it in your head to see like because you are in such a hyper vigilant survival mode state that you do you replay scenarios in your head and then so when you go back it really is seeking some sense of relief and like a chance to prove to ourselves that we were not abused by someone who said they loved us. Yes. And I think there's another part to that. It's easier to be with the monster you know 
than the monster you don't. And what I mean by that is for the longest time, I would say this. It's just so hard being single. Everything's so much change. There's so much going on. Why can't I just have status quo? That's how my marriage was. Mm. Um, because status quo means you were just surviving. It's hard to leave. It's hard to start over. It's hard to battle it out in court. And it's hard to be accused of bad things. And it's hard all of the gaslighting they do and the things they pull the kids into and the things that they accuse you of and the things they tell everybody that are complete lies that you know my reputation is down the toilet because he's lying. Mm -hmm. Lots of people just go back because they know that monster and it's easier than to brave the monster they don't know. Yeah. I read, tell me what you think of this. I read somewhere, I don't remember where I read it, but it, it was something about how it's not uncommon for a, for someone who's left a narcissistic relationship to become a little bit manipulative because that this is a response to them continuously not having their needs met because they're never enough. So they're always meeting the needs of their partner, not being enough. And so <laughs> they, it's like they don't realize how much they were neglected in the relationship. And mm -hmm. so they become, they seek to have their needs met in unhealthy ways because they don't realize how drained they were in the relationship. So they kind of can manipulate, they start manipulating new partners. And then, and then I think that makes them question if they're a narcissist or not, because they were manipulated. Mm, yeah. Can you, I don't, that was new information to me, um, but it's, it's a survival thing. It's, and it makes, let me, let me explain this. And I don't think it's exactly the same, but you can kind of see a similarity. So in my first marriage, I never spoke my needs. I never spoke that I was unhappy sexually and didn't want to have sex. I never spoke. Um, if you continue to be mean to the kids, I'm going to leave you. I never, you know, I never spoke those things. Mm -hmm. And so in my second relationship, I spoke all the things mm -hmm. I spoke, um, you know, I'd love to have sex more. I'd love this. I'd love that. And unfortunately my second husband saw that as you're manipulating me and you're never happy and you want everything to be perfect all the time. So I can kind of see that being seen as that, but I personally don't think I was manipulative in my relationships, but I can absolutely see how people would think that because also I would think that some people are like, I'm never going to let anybody take control yeah. of me again. So I'm going to take it. Yeah. I can totally see how that would be a factor. And that's a, that's a survival mode. Thing. Yeah. Where yeah. Like never again, never again. Is that going to happen to me? So I have to stay in control. So that I, I can don't. kind of see that in my second marriage. Yeah. Absolutely. And when I would kind of lose it and feel out of control and go into that fight or flight, um, I would panic and text my husband at work and freak out a little bit. And he's like, you know, what is going on? And I, I mean, truly, because I got married three years after my divorce. So, and 17 years of that abuse is, I mean, I was still covered in shame and covered in, mm. in feeling awful and thinking I was worthless. And, um, you know, and another scary thing is, is you're terrified to attract the same type of person again, you know? And, yeah. um, 
there's bits of my second husband that are selfish and all of the things. And, and then I look in the mirror and go, how did you get duped twice and pick two selfish people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what you know. It's what, and that's why it's so great. And, and I can happily say doing the work that I have, not dating anyone seriously for six years, working on the EMDR and reprogramming all the trauma spots in my brain have allowed me to identify a healthy man that I'm now seeing. And I'm terrified sometimes. It's like, am I being duped again? But Mm -hmm. I really know the truth and I know, I trust myself now. Whereas I didn't trust myself before. Yeah. And I see, I see that in you. And I, you know, I know I've met the guy you're seeing and I can just see, I never met your exes, but I can just tell that it's a different thing for you and it's healthy. And, you know, I, I'm not to a place right now, like just listening to you say, I trust myself. My first thought was, I don't trust myself. And it's not because of narcissistic relationships. It's because of self-abandonment. And it's all these things where it's like, you know, it's anger that I still have. And I think, you know, I think that's, I think that leaving a narcissistic relationship causes a lot of anger. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, really the level of anger that you feel is also the level of, pain that you're experiencing realizing that you know you deserve to be treated better than you were and you tolerated it for however long you did and you're finally letting it be what it was which was a really hard relationship that that broke you and so that pain once you're free from that relationship kind of turns to anger and it's like yeah it's like the seven stages of grief it really is yeah um and you have to go through all the state. I mean, I'm 12 years out of my separation. Yeah. Almost mm-hmm. 12 years out of my divorce from my narcissistic ex. And, you know, I was in, in with my counselor last week and she said, Lori, your codependent part's never going to go away. It's just a part of you. She's not driving anymore. Mm-hmm. You are. And I was like, Really, I can't just kick her ass out of the car. <laughs> like, I really want to be, I want that person gone. I don't want to be the pleaser. I don't, you know, but she will forever be a part of me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what's the movie that you like? The Disney movie with all Inside of Out. Thank you. And that's what I told my therapist. I pictured these parts like mm-hmm. Inside Out characters. And I've got shame and I've got codependent and I've got anger and I've got fear and all of the things, right? And we talk about them through through working through this EMDR. And she's like, you have been so hypervigilant and pleasing people your whole entire life. Those parts of you have been driving this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's easy when I think about it like that because I do visualize them in the car with me. Yeah. And as silly as it sounds... You it know? really doesn't sound silly, though. It's such right? a they good take visual. Over. Yeah, they take over. They take over. And when she explained it to me, you know, we, we sat my parts down at the table this last weekend. And she was like, which one was the one who always was the closest to you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fear. Fear guided everything in me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want you to talk to fear now. And we're going to say, 
I love you for what you did. I love you for protecting me. I love you for being here in my life to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. But you are not driving any more of this car. Yeah. And it was a very cathartic exercise to put it in its place because you've witnessed it in me being more secure in this relationship I'll voice to you the small thoughts I have or the, you know, but what if, or, and now it's like, hold on, fear, get your ass in the back seat mm-hmm. and I can see it and it's clear. And so that's why I wanted to share on here, you know, there's a vulnerable side of both of us, you and I both sharing our stories and our therapy journeys and everything we've been and that we're moving into, but we're doing this to help other people. Like, it, you can find help. You can move through it. I don't interact with my first husband anymore. All my kids are adults. And my life is a lot more smooth and there is an end in sight. But you have to hang on through it because they will forever be part of you because they created a part in you. Yeah. And you can't ever escape it. So you will always forever be questioning yourself and not trusting until you've had enough time mm-hmm. to realize, oh... You're here to keep me safe, but you're not driving anymore. Mm-hmm. You're still in that full-on healing mode, whereas mm-hmm. I'm 12 years ahead of you. Not you know, 12 years. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. I mean, my first divorce was 12 years. Oh, though. Okay. that's what I meant. Like okay. I've had 12 years of work on this. Yeah. Well, but, and I wasn't. You know, this isn't my thoughts on narcissistic relationships aren't related to my marriages. Um, I've, you know, none of the. None of the not trusting myself. Yeah, no, from it's the codependent. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the codependent. But, it, but I think that 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 car, that thing that your therapist did with you, with putting those like the closest thing being fear. Like, it, I think it's important to have those kinds of conversations and and say like thank fear, thank fear for the part that it yeah. played because. That at that with the information you had at that point in your life, fear was your biggest protector. Right. She helped me survive it. She yeah. helped me get because I've I've seen his temper and and fortunately it was never harsh at me. And she kept me in a safe place. Yeah. And I think that get in the back seat, like thank you for what you did, and now you can now yeah. you can go chill in the back and look and, at the views because I don't need you anymore. That's I'm what stronger we did. than that That's now. exactly what we did. She said, ask, and I know this sounds hokey to some people, but Andrea and I really do believe in this stuff. She said to me, ask fear if it wants to become something else now. Mm. And I, I told her, okay, I did. And she goes, what does it want to be? And I said, it wants to be joy. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And we're both here crying, right? (laughs) Because I was taught to fear everything as a child. Yeah. To the point where my mother took our fingerprints and wrote down our chipped teeth on cards because we were told we were going to get kidnapped. And like, I was taught to fear everything, which makes you scared to be you and scared to go further than their arms reach. And you're controlled by everything and fear in my life. She has driven the entire time. And this last weekend, seeing the joy in my life of meeting an amazing man, having a new amazing job, feeling settled in my life, not feeling controlled anymore, not feeling like I'm reacting to a divorce and and someone's decisions made me go, 
fear, I don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to really realize, yeah, you're not driving now, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. <clears throat> but I think a lot of people will understand that. There are, that's the beauty of therapy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there are parts of you that show up all the time, but it's not the authentic you. Yeah. You know? I've pulled cards where it's a fat shamer. You're so fat, you're eating a cheeseburger. Or you're so dumb, you didn't get the problem right. Or you're so lazy, you took a nap today. All mm-hmm. of those are parts. All of those are parts of me that live in my head that, you know, and yeah, they're all there for a reason, but they don't have to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Hopefully this helped somebody out there. How do we tie a bow around this one? This one doesn't need a bow. Um, But again, I will share, if you've experienced narcissistic abuse or you think, wow, maybe what I do is really kind of shitty, research it. Mm -hmm. Find a therapist who, you know, deals in shame and um, narcissistic recovery or... Yeah, there are, there are therapists that that coach people out of narcissistic relationships and it's okay to need that yeah I wouldn't have survived I don't think without it yeah truly I wouldn't have found the path that I have without it and I've been through six therapists yeah so um so yes no shame in therapy there's no shame in therapy and there's no shame in having been with a narcissist it happens. Don't feel stupid. Don't feel yeah. like men and women. Don't don't shame yourself for yeah. having chosen one. Yeah, I feel like our parents' generation was shamed. Like if, you, oh, totally. if it was a secret if you had a therapist and if it came out that you're yeah. in therapy, there was something really wrong with you. And I feel like for me, if someone doesn't have a therapist, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you not realize how awesome this is? <laughs> And it's true. It's that person who helps you see your blind spots. And, you know, when fear and shame live in your head all the time, that person can make you understand, hey, wait, I really am a good person. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks for listening, you guys. I think we're going to wrap up. Yep. We will see you next week. Okay. Bye.